If you have a true scary story you would like to hear featured on this podcast, please go to AsTheRavenDreams.com and click the button to send it my way. Also, consider rating this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to, as it does help. And of course, thank you. Hi there. So, this was something that happened to me when I was traveling alone. I had lost my partner of eight years after a long battle with an illness that they'd had, which caused me to take some time off to try and heal to find myself again. I decided that, during the spring break, I would move from Mass back to my home state of Oklahoma to be close to my mother. On the way there, I made some planned stops at places that my partner and I enjoyed or were memorable for us as a way to honor them. One of those places was a state park. We were both avid outdoorsy people and loved camping, hiking, and just being one with nature, and this particular park had strong memories, so I knew that I had to go. Once I got there, I called my mom and let her know that I was there stuffed my phone and my keys in my backpack, and marched on. The sight was beautiful, especially early mornings in spring, when you could still see the dew sitting on top of the grass and kind of hanging above the rocks. I was able to just take in the sights and let anything out that I needed. A woman that I was passing actually snapped a really great picture of me by an overhang that I still have to this day. I saw a few people on my hike who were willing to share their stories and wish me well on my journey. It truly was a therapeutic experience for me. I was and always will be a very giving person, and willing to help those in need that I come across too, so when I made eye contact with a man that seemed a bit distraught, or maybe just overwhelmed, I stopped and asked if he was okay. When I approached him sitting on the edge of this cliff with his feet dangling, I noticed a very strong alcohol smell. He said he was fine, but just asked if I had water. I always carried an extra bottle, so I just gave him the whole thing, telling him to keep it. If that man was out there drinking, then he was going to need water. I don't know how many people would have stopped for him, let alone give him water, so I did. He thanked me and we had a small conversation. He told me that he used to go there with his parents when he was younger, and that he was just struggling at the time. I didn't want to make it too mushy, but I tried my best at a small inspirational speech for him, to which he seemed to cheer up a bit. He then asked me if I was single or if I wanted to get drinks, to which I politely declined. I didn't want to bring up my partner, but just said that I wasn't looking for anyone at the time. He shrugged it off and seemed to handle it well by laughing. We then shook hands, wished each other well, and I carried on my path. At one point, I stopped at a small stream and splashed some water on my face and rested. While sitting there, I started getting this feeling like I was being watched. This was a bit off the path, so I rarely saw people over here. I looked around and confirmed that no one was around, so I assumed it was either just me, or maybe there was an animal. I was, 
after all, in their territory, so I decided it would be best to move along. I got back to the path, and after a bit, that following feeling started to come back again. I again looked behind me, and I didn't see anybody, but that feeling would not go away. My instincts were starting to kick in and overwhelm me, so I sporadically made the decision to break into a run to see what would happen. It was probably a stupid idea, if it actually was an animal, but I really just wanted the feeling to go away. After a bit, I slowed down to catch my breath and again looked around, not seeing anyone. But this time, I heard heavy breathing. That path is not easy if you don't take steep inclines like that on a regular basis, so I looked around a little closer and walked back towards a large boulder. On the other side was that same guy that I saw earlier. When I saw him, I didn't know what to do other than ask if he was okay again. He again chuckled and said yes, but seemed like he meant it more this time. I asked him if he was following me in a joking manner, to which he replied that he wasn't intentionally but just wanted to catch up to me to thank me again because it meant a lot to him. I told him it was no big deal and that I was glad to help. After some awkward standing around, I then said that I had to get going. He waved me on and I headed out thinking that this was a bit awkward, but at least it was solved and over with. But as I made my way to a part that loops around, I started getting that same feeling of being watched. I was a bit less worried this time, expecting it to be the same guy, but saying I was a bit annoyed sounds too harsh. I'm really not sure how else to put it, though. I wanted this experience to release any emotions that I had been holding back. Yeah, I stopped and talked to a few people, but I wasn't really here to meet new people. I wanted to be able to continue this journey on my own. I continued on this time thinking that maybe if I didn't stop to pay attention to him, then I wouldn't have any more run-ins. Yet, because this circled around, we ended up walking towards each other. This time, I just smiled at him and tried to keep walking, but was startled when he grabbed my arm. I've never experienced anything like this, so I didn't know what to do but look at him. He told me again that what I said really meant a lot to him and that he wanted to make it up to me. I told him it wasn't necessary as I was just being nice. I tried pulling my arm away as I said this, but he only grabbed it tighter. I started becoming a bit scared for obvious reasons, and he picked up on this as he looked at me, smiled, and asked, Are you scared? This made me sick to my stomach. There was no one else around in this secluded area but us. What the hell was he planning? Why would you even say something like that? While choking back tears, I managed to just say, please, just let go of my arm. After a few more seconds of staring at me and smiling, he finally did let go and started laughing. I didn't waste any more time, and I quickly ran. I was familiar with the path and I knew that I still had a bit to go before I got back to the entrance, but I remembered that there was a small opening in the trees to a field with a few benches where families typically stopped at to take pictures or have lunch. I was just praying that I would run into some people and that 
Hopefully, I would be able to just walk near them so that I wasn't alone. Thankfully, I did come across the spot, and there were a few people there. I tried to calm down and look like I was just there to rest, as I didn't want anybody to be worried about me. I sat at the bench and looked around, concerned that he may show up and cause another scene, but thankfully he never did. After some time, I was able to calm down and try to enjoy the last bit of my trek. I was obviously upset. This was supposed to be a time for me to heal and move on in my life, and while this was pretty terrifying, I refused to let this ruin it for me. I gathered myself, headed back to the entrance by myself. I started a brisk walk until I was back into my jog, and then I finally reached the entrance. I stopped by the restrooms to freshen up before I was ready to head back to my car, but as I exited the restroom, I, of course, would make eye contact with this same guy heading into the shop. But he looked slightly different. He lost the old dirty jacket that he was wearing, and the jeans he was wearing now looked like they'd been cut at the knees. Could he have changed them? Quite possibly, but since they seemed jagged and uneven, they looked intentionally or sporadically cut. And, of course, as soon as he noticed me, he stopped and turned like he was about to walk towards me. This time, I was not going to lie down like a scared little girl. I rolled my eyes and immediately turned around to walk to my car with my keys clenched between my fingers. I heard someone shout, Hey! from behind me, but I didn't stop. I didn't even turn around until I heard the footsteps getting faster, causing me to run as well. I managed to get to my car, get in and lock it as he finally caught up and started pulling on the door handle. When he realized it was locked, he became enraged. He kept screaming to open the door and was banging on the window and kicking the door panel. It didn't last long before a ranger noticed and came rushing up to us as well, but he took off. They didn't catch him, but he did stupidly run backwards into the park, so he would have to leave eventually. The ranger asked me what happened, and I agreed to stay to tell an officer. Throughout this whole time, they never found the guy, so... I ended up leaving and giving them my contact information if they had any other questions for me. I left there relieved for multiple reasons. Relieved that I would never see that man again, but also relieved that I made it through the trail alone for the first time. It felt like a weight being lifted off of me. Like I was being tested and I passed it, and this was just going to make me stronger. I even got a call from an officer telling me that they did catch the guy, and since the ranger had saw him, I didn't have to come back to identify him. They also told me that he had warrants, so he ended up going back with them anyways. Overall, I felt like the trip was successful, and I was already feeling better. I'm not going to say that it's made me more suspicious of people, as I still look for the best in others, but... I'm also mentally stronger and know how to handle situations better, both physically and mentally. And to the guy that I met that day, I hope that you are truly doing better.
this was a few years ago when this happened, but I thought it would be a good story to get out there. I'd gone to a party with a few of my friends and thought that it was going to be a good time, when it actually turned out to be pretty horrifying. I'm gonna be honest, I'm not the best storyteller, and I'm not really sure where to begin with actually telling the story, because it's one of those terrible events that was pretty messed up, and it affected a few people. I guess I'll just start by saying that my group was just myself and two of my longtime friends, and the party was at the house of one of our longtime friend of a friend's that we'll call Jordan for the story. Jordan is a pretty nice dude. I've known him for a few years, as have both of my friends. I only call him a friend of a friend or an acquaintance, because I don't personally know much about him. I know that he's a pretty laid-back dude, likes to have a good time, and so forth. I've spoken with him a few times over the years, but I know that he's the kind of person, if I spent more time around him, I would probably say he's a pretty good friend. We got to his house a bit later than the start time for the party, and right off the bat, things seemed a bit downtrodden. We got there, greeted Jordan, and he just seemed like he was a bit upset about something, like he was trying to keep the conversation with us short. I asked him if he was okay, and he said that he was, but then mentioned that his brother was at the party, and that his brother had some issues. The way he said it was like, you should avoid him because he is a problem, but without saying those exact words. It was like he wanted to warn us, but it was also his brother, so he didn't want to just call him out as being someone we should stay away from. We told him that we would keep an eye out and make sure that if we saw anything, we would let him know. He thanked us, and he kind of seemed to change his tune a bit to one that was generally more positive and friendly. He walked us in, introduced us to a few people that he thought we would like to know, showed us where things were, and then took us out back where the larger group of people was mingling. We integrated into the group, just chatting it up with some random people, getting to know each other and enjoying the night. About 20 or so minutes into dancing, having a few drinks and catching up with some people that I actually recognized, we heard what sounded like somebody yelling, and the words being thrown out were not pleasantries. They were definitely aggressive comments. The whole group kind of just stopped what they were doing and turned their attention toward the house, where we saw Jordan and another man going off on each other. Based on his appearance, it was pretty obvious that the other man was his brother. They looked very much alike. After a bit of back and forth, Jordan yelled at the other man to get the hell out of his house. The two of them shouted a few more unpleasantries at each other, but after a bit more exchange, his brother did leave. Jordan apologized to everyone for it. We of course all told him that it wasn't a big deal and not to worry about it. We all thought it was just a family dispute and moved on, thinking that it was over. Less than half an hour later, things had gotten back to normal for the party and everyone had moved on from the whole situation. The mood was very quickly killed though when we started hearing more screaming in the house. This time not angry screaming between people, but more like panicked screaming. Of course, we all turned our focus to the house again, but this time we could easily see what was happening. 
there was smoke billowing out from the front of the house, and we could see the people running out screaming and yelling to call 911. I watched as Jordan ran back in to see what exactly was happening, and he was helping get people out of the house while others were calling the fire department. Unfortunately, it didn't take very long for the house to go from, oh, there's smoke, to there's not much of the front of the house left. The fire department got there as quickly as they could, but the fire had quickly spread from the living room into the hallway and kitchen, and it was rather destructive. To make a long story a bit shorter, they determined that the fire was set by what appeared to be a Molotov. Guests that were in the house said that they heard and saw something being thrown through the living room window, and when it crashed onto the ground, the fire seemed to go in all directions. And, of course, you can easily assume who had thrown them. I learned that Jordan's brother had an addiction problem, and had been staying with Jordan while he tried to get his life back on track. Apparently, he'd been doing a pretty good job, but... He'd been bugging Jordan asking for cash for whatever drug he wanted to be on. When Jordan said no, he got mad, because it was a party, which meant he should be allowed to let loose. Jordan told him that he could join the party, but anything he ingested needed to be legal. Hence, of course, this put his brother on edge. The argument that they'd had before his brother left was enough to send his brother over that very destructive cliff and he decided to go find somebody to help him get high. Then, he opted to set his brother's house on fire in retaliation. He was pretty quickly caught, too, because he didn't really leave after he threw the Molotovs. He'd actually stuck around so that he could watch the damage that he caused, and he was more than willing to confess it to the cops when they questioned him. Thankfully, by the end of this, nobody was physically harmed. Jordan lost his home, and what's worse, the only reason his brother was there was because he was trying to help him. It has been a while since all this happened. His brother is in jail, and the couple of times I've spoken with Jordan since then, he'd been rather optimistic, considering the fact that his brother had burned his house down. The property was a complete loss and he ended up having to stay with family and try to get everything sorted through insurance, but I don't know how all that ended up. I just personally hope that the property loss was the worst of it. I can only imagine how much it must have hurt Jordan to have his own brother try to destroy his life like that. I met Trent when I was 30 years old. We met in a relatively old-fashioned way, mainly because I've always shunned online dating and prefer meeting people face-to-face. -face. I've always trusted my gut instinct when I meet people, and we met at a town dance. I come from one of those country towns where everyone knows each other and there is a strong sense of community out here. While people are suspicious of strangers, they tend to turn a blind eye to bad behavior from people inside the community. It's one of the most frustrating parts of living in a community like this. Despite this, I do love my hometown. Trent, which is a nickname by the way, 
was the cousin to one of the more well-established families in the town. If you're not from one of these small towns, it can be hard to understand, but essentially, many of their family has important businesses and own a considerable amount of the property. Trent wasn't raised in the town, and was raised in one of the big cities. Trent was charming, sweet, and caring. Everyone told me how lucky I was to be with him, and if we got married, I would basically be set for life. We dated for nearly two years before we moved in together. Six months later, we were engaged, and he told me how he wanted to look after me. Now, I was raised by a very long line of independent women who wanted to make sure that they make their own money. But over time, I was worn down by the promises and the hope of an easy life. I let him take care of the finances, and we lived a pretty good life, regularly going on expensive trips into restaurants, buying new clothes and lots of items I didn't really need. I was living the good life. My friends frequently told me how jealous they were that I found someone like this, and I thought I was blessed too. Whenever I would try to conserve our power usage, Trent would reassure me not to worry and say that it was covered. I personally didn't like this though. It was wasteful. Trent and I talked about having children together someday, what we would name the kids, how we would raise them, and what we wanted for our family. Trent wanted a massive family with something like seven children. I'm not young by any means and didn't realistically think I could have that many. I told him this, and he said he was okay with it. I ended up having three kids with him, who are my whole world. I love each of them. Over time, my focus changed from having a lifestyle around going out and socializing to raising our children. I don't think that he liked this as much, and he went out of his way to spoil our kids, buying them whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted. I told him that it was a bad idea to spoil them, and so, in my children's eyes, I was the big mean mummy. He told me one day that he wanted to leave the quiet country town that we had called home, a place that I lived my entire life. We talked about it, and we looked for places that we could go. He seemed kind of panicked about it for some reason, but he wouldn't tell me what the problem was. I kept asking him if I could help, and he got really snappy at me. And one day, he even punched a wall that he got so worked up. That wasn't the same man that I married. I actually woke up one day, and all of his things were gone. He took a bag, left an apology note. I called everyone his family, his friends, the police, and there was no sign of this ever coming. Our children were so scared for their father and they missed him terribly. Then, I found the stash of bills and credit cards that had been taken out using my name. I stared in shock at them. He hadn't been paying the bills and there were final notices approaching. I actually had my first panic attack and woke up on the floor, I thought it was a nightmare, but this was my reality. I called up the bank and utilities company, and anyone who would listen to me. I called my mom and my friends. I was terrified about what would happen. I was scared that I was going to lose the house, and I tried to call my husband's number, begging him to come home to sort this all out. 
as it turns out, Trent had been in debt, and he'd actually done this thing before. There was even a pending investigation into him, and I couldn't believe how stupid I was. It's taken years to properly clear my name and my credit. Financially, he destroyed me. And I wish I had kept working to keep up my skills in the job market. Luckily for me, a family friend actually heard of the situation and gave me a job, some advice, and a place to stay while things were being sorted out. It was hard on the kids, they were used to getting whatever they wanted, and they then had to make do with whatever they had. They would ask me where their dad was, and I would have to lie to them, telling them that he loves them and would be coming home someday. I try to look for him on social media sometimes when I have spare time. One time I actually found him, and he was already with another woman. As the investigation went on, I discovered that I wasn't the only woman that he conned, and if he isn't stopped, I won't be the last. Ever since, I've been trying to repair my life. I'm trying to legally get a divorce, and at first his family tried to brush it off or blame me for what happened, but I'm not going to be silenced over this. Some of the friends that I had when I was living the high life, of course, disappeared when I needed them most. But here's my advice that I have for any young woman or young man or whoever out there. Don't blindly trust someone to manage your finances. Always, at least, be somewhat involved in the process, and try to keep an eye on your money. If possible, also keep up your skills in case something happens where you have to rejoin the workforce. Because I really wish that I did. The story takes place over Snapchat. I was a 16-year-old female in high school, and as most my age, I was pretty active on the app. I received a notification that a new friend had added me. They went by a name that I had never heard before, but being the dumb teenager I was, I accepted their friend request anyway out of curiosity. I noticed that their snap score was extremely low. A snap score determines how active a person is on their Snapchat account. The higher the snap score, the longer they've had the account. The fact that their snap score was extremely low made it seem as if they had just created this account very recently. They started to message me right away after I accepted. Almost immediately, I could tell that this was a fake account that somebody had created. They started chatting with me, and they then started to send me inappropriate pictures of themselves, their face was never in the pictures, and an inappropriate picture I assumed they found online. They would harass me and say really cruel things to me, as if they had it out for me. I would tell them off because their harassment towards me made me feel very upset and targeted. I would later find out a few things about them, one of them being that they followed me on Instagram. They sent me a screenshot of my profile. This was definitely somebody that I knew. They also admitted that they went to the same high school as me. I decided to block them soon afterwards. For years, throughout the rest of high school and even after, I would get random accounts from the same name and different names doing the exact same thing. Sending inappropriate pictures and being very hateful and stalkerish towards me. This made it hard because, since they used different names sometimes, 
I would just assume it was someone from school whom I didn't know who got my username from one of my friends. Sometimes I would be anxious to walk home alone after school, thinking they may try and follow me and get me alone. They made around 10 accounts in total over the few years that this took place. What I found even more creepy is they went as far as to add me on Snapchat on my birthday. And when I accepted, they wished me a happy birthday, which meant that they knew my birth date. They did this on my graduation day too. On my graduation day, they also said more cruel things to me, almost as if they were trying to ruin my graduation. This person really hated me for some reason, yet I could never think of who it could have been. I couldn't think of anyone at school or elsewhere that could have possibly hated me this much to target me like this. Unfortunately, I never found out who it was. I assumed it was somebody that I rejected, or my ex, but either way, this person was very unstable. I'm in college now, and thankfully this has stopped. I have a new account on Snapchat with a unique username, so it's much harder for anyone to find me. Many years ago, my girlfriend, Maya, and I spent our spring break on a road trip to St. Louis, Missouri from New Mexico. We wanted to see the Gateway Arch and check out some other sites nearby. She also had grandparents that lived in the area, and they welcomed us to stay with them while we were there. This gave us a bit more wiggle room in our budget, and helped us greatly. We planned on leaving super early to get a head start on traffic and taking turns driving and sleeping, so that we could save more time and money on hotels, which did work out in our favor. Well, for the most part. Most of the drive went smoothly. We had printed out our drive and directions and even planned our stops. And yes, I said printed directions. This should tell you how long ago this was. We ate, made our planned stops with minimal detours or extra stopping, and slept all according to plan. But we didn't account for, though, were the Midwestern storms. We had stopped at a gas station in eastern Kansas to fuel up, and it had then started raining. No big deal. We had a fully functional car, so the wiper blades worked just fine. We got back on the road and continued on, knowing that we only had about four, maybe five hours left of our drive. But it hadn't even been an hour later when the rain began pouring. I've lived in New Mexico all my life. Now, I'd seen some rainstorms and some pretty bad ones, but I had never experienced anything like this. So, yeah... I'm not afraid to say that I got a little nervous. Maya, however, wasn't as concerned and just offered to drive if I wasn't comfortable. Seeing her calm demeanor did help calm me down some, and I continued on. Unfortunately, the rain would not let up, and it became louder as it hit my car. That's when we realized it wasn't just rain, it was also now hail. I have never seen hail so big in my life and still haven't since. It became so loud and heavy that I thought it was going to smash my windshield. I couldn't really hold back my fears, so Maya suggested that we pull over so that she could drive. This time, I agreed. 
We pulled into a gas station and I went in asking to use their phone. Maya didn't have a phone and I just had a prepaid one that I was trying to save the time on in case of emergencies. I called my parents and let them know where we were. I then explained how bad the weather was and my mom sounded worried and suggested that we take shelter at a hotel until it passed. Of course, this didn't really help relieve any of my concerns, but I told them I would consider it and ended the call. I went back to Maya and after sharing with her, she said that she would continue the drive, saying that we would probably be fine. I tried my best to remain calm and just trust her judgment. We continued to drive, but it seemed like we were honestly going further into the storm. The rain and hail continued and the wind was so strong. I thought it might even blow us off the road. And speaking of the road, I could barely see the lines on it, let alone a few feet in front of us. We were on a pretty empty stretch of road with no exits nearby, but I looked over at Maya to ask if we should maybe just pull over and wait it out, and her face told me all that I needed to know. She no longer looked so confident. I pleaded with her to pull over, and she agreed. We were now on the shoulder and parked, and we sat there in the dark and silence just trying to decide the best thing to do. I grabbed my phone from her purse to at least call her grandparents, or my parents, with an update, and of course I didn't have any signal. It was a bit disconcerting to see, but I told myself that we were parked so we should be okay. We tried keeping each other calm by just talking and occupying ourselves, which did start to work. We probably sat there for about 30-45 minutes when we noticed that the hail had stopped. It was still raining pretty hard, but since the hail cleared up, we could see the road a bit better and decided to give it another go. But as it goes, there's always something. Now, the car wasn't moving. It started just fine, but it appeared to be stuck. We got out and checked, and sure enough, the tires on the passenger side had sunk into the mud. This road didn't have any sort of barriers on the side, so it just went from road to grass and dirt. I tried pushing it while Maya steered, but it was not budging. Then, when we finally got some movement, it began sliding more into the shoulder, almost like it was fishtailing. Sorry, I'm not good with cars at all, and I'm not sure how to better describe it. At this point, there was no way we were going to be able to get the car out alone. We got back in the car, now soaked, and grabbed our beach towels from our bags. Cue the worried feeling again. Now we were definitely stuck in this storm, in seemingly the middle of nowhere, late at night, and we had no real options. I still didn't have a signal on my phone, and neither of us had any other ideas. I just really hoped that we weren't going to start hearing the tornado sirens. We just grabbed some snacks from our food bag, and tried to wait it out and hoped for the best. Honestly, this whole thing took a lot out of us, not to mention the whole drive prior, so we both started getting pretty drowsy. As we were laying back, trying to relax and just stay calm, we saw lights coming from the opposite direction towards us. To our surprise, they actually slowed down, stopping next to us, and they rolled down their window. It was an older man in a pickup, and 
he said probably the best thing I had heard that night. Y'all need some help? We probably should have been a little hesitant at first, for the reasons mentioned above. Middle of nowhere, stranger, dark road, etc., etc., but we were so desperate that we decided to take the risk. The man got out of his truck, put some kind of board between my back bumper and his front, and pushed my car while Maya steered it. It came out like it was nothing, and the man's truck plowed right through the mud, too. By the end of it, we were all completely exhausted, soaked and freezing, but finally with the man's help we managed to get our car back on the road. He even followed us to the next exit, which had a McDonald's to make sure that we made it out okay. We were incredibly grateful to that man. He could have kept on driving, he could have been a creep and we would have had nowhere to go, but instead, he stopped, and he helped two dumb girls stuck in a ditch. We tried to pay him as a thank you, but he refused and said that he was just happy to help. We went in and used their phone to call my parents and her grandparents to give them an update, and then decided to sleep in our car in the parking lot for a few hours hoping that by the time it was lighter out, the rain would have dissipated. Thankfully, it did, and we made it to her grandparents' place with no other issues. Overall, it ended up being a great trip, but I told Maya that I would never again drive anywhere with her in the rain. Only partially joking, but it was also nice to see that there are still good people out there that are willing to lend a hand. Alright, I spent my entire slow day at work yesterday reading through this sub, so now I want to share my little story. My childhood best friend, Marie, and I were around 11 or 12 years old at the time. Marie's family had their own campsite in a provincial park about two hours from our hometown, and would spend the entire summer each year living in their camper out there. This particular summer, I was able to go and stay with them for a week, and we were excited to spend our time adventuring around the forest. On the last night that I was there, we decided that we wanted to hurry down to the ice cream shop by the lake before it closed. It was early evening at this point, still pretty bright out, but beginning to lose light. The path that we took was down a short slope right next to the main road, with maybe ten feet of thick brush and trees in between. On the other side was the forest, with more tall, thick brush. So, we were walking along, not seeing a single other person on the path in front or behind us. We hear a sudden rustling and snapping of branches, similar to the sound of maybe a deer moving through the woods. I wouldn't have thought anything of it, but then, the sound of running footsteps followed. Marie glances back and suddenly grabs my arm, urging me under her breath not to look back. At the same time, the running stops. I don't know why I didn't ignore her and get a look myself. I guess that I could sense the very real fear in her voice and chose to listen. We both start to panic, getting that feeling like when you're running up the stairs after turning the basement light off, 
We pick up speed as much as we can without breaking into a sprint, knowing that the ice cream shop is only about a minute walk away at this point. The path soon breaks, and we're in the parking lot. Suddenly, Marie steers me hard to the left, heading towards the lake in the boat rental, instead of continuing straight to the ice cream shop. And I go along with it silently, understanding that ice cream is no longer an interest right now. Marie is clearly panicking at this point. We're both looking around, but it seems that whatever scared her is nowhere in sight at this point. Marie walks up to the boat rental and gets us a kayak, and we climb in and begin to paddle out to the middle of the lake. As we paddle, she tells me that there was a man behind us and that the man had stopped running at us very abruptly upon making eye contact with her. He'd been wearing a long black coat with the hood up, despite it being the middle of July, and he had a terrible smirk on his face. And she swore that as he stopped running, she saw him put something shiny away into his coat. He appeared to have just emerged out of the bushes after we walked past, given the sounds that we heard right before he came running onto the path. We reach the center of the lake and stop paddling. I pull out my old Nokia brick phone that my parents had, thank God, given me just in case. I hand it to Marie and tell her to call her parents to come pick us up. As the phone rings, I see her look out past me to the shore and go pale, lifting a hand to point to what she's seeing. I turn, and there was the man, stalking his way around the path that circled the edge of the lake and staring out at us. We sat in the middle of the lake and watched him do two full laps, never looking away from us, before finally disappearing. It took a few tries to get a hold of her family. We were freaking out so bad the whole time, as the sun got lower and lower. We did manage to have someone come with the truck, but by the time we reached the shore, it was pretty dark outside. I don't know what we would have done if we hadn't been able to call for a ride. Looking back, I don't know why we didn't just go up to the ice cream shop, inform an adult there, and ask her parents to come get us then, but it worked out. We got back safe, and we thankfully never saw that man again. This happened back when I was 13. Since I was involved, but I wasn't the prime target here, I'm going to be using fake names for everyone's privacy. I did get permission to share this, though, as I feel like it's very important for people to hear. I had been invited to a friend's 14th birthday party. We'll call him Sam. We actually used to live on the same block until the year prior when his family had moved. He was still within the same school district, though, so we never lost any time. Along with me, there were probably about a dozen kids there, boys and girls, and most of them I knew and were also friends with. The party went as planned. Everyone showed up. We played for a while in the backyard because it was huge. They had one of those playsets, a tire swing, and some other things. Then we sang to Sam had some cake and ice cream, and opened his presents. After a few party games, we again were left to our own devices for a few hours. Everything was going great. Sam enjoyed his presents. I got him a special Yu-Gi-Oh! deck pack that came with a collector's box. 
He got a special foil card in it that a lot of us were pretty excited about, so that made me pretty happy all by itself. At this point, the party was dying down and some kids were being picked up. At the end, there were probably about six of us left, all boys, and two of them actually lived nearby, so they were going to be there until their parents called them home. The other three of us, Jack, Kyle, and I, were going to be spending the night at Sam's. After it started getting dark, the six of us went inside and started dueling at the kitchen table. We were getting a bit loud and rowdy, I'm sure, so Sam's parents told us we needed to quiet down. But we were young boys and were hyped up on sugar and some heated duels, so we had the genius idea to go back outside and play hide-and-seek. After a bit of begging, Sam's parents finally relented and let us go. They told us that we could go outside and play for an hour, but that we would have to check back in at that point. We ran out back as we shouted our okays and byes, ready to go play hide-and-seek. It was still the six of us at this point. The two neighbor boys, Charlie and Brent, wanted to play before they went home, and we had no problems with that. The more the merrier when it comes to hide-and-seek, I say. The first couple of rounds went fine, and then it was my turn to be it. I counted down, and then I started looking for everyone. Charlie wouldn't stop giggling, so I found him pretty quickly. Then I found Kyle. The way we play, though, if you could get back to the base, or where the person counted down, you win or were considered safe. So, I caught Sam going back to the base, and soon after that, Brett... I still had to find Jack. The others were standing around doing whatever while I continued looking, but I was starting to become stumped. Other than the playset that I mentioned before, their yard had a small playhouse, a few things that belonged to Sam's dad that lined the outside of the shed and was covered with the tarp, and then of course the shed itself. The shed had a lock on it, and we knew that it was off limits anyways, so I knew that he wasn't in there. The only place that I hadn't looked was in the small patch of trees behind his house. It separated their yard from the house behind them. We didn't really say it was off-limits, but between the other sessions and no one hiding there, I guess we all assumed that we wouldn't. I honestly didn't have any other ideas, so I went back to the others and told them that I needed help. They all agreed, and we spread out looking over the yard again, all teasing me saying that I gave up. When he still didn't make an appearance, we all agreed that we should search those trees then. It was darker back there, as the light on the porch and shed didn't reach that far. I think we all were trying to be brave, but I know that I was a little creeped out. To make it even worse, we still were not finding Jack. We started to address it amongst ourselves that we were concerned, but we didn't know what to do. Should we go tell his parents? Should we just continue looking? Could he have been playing some elaborate prank on us? Right as we were about to walk back to the house to tell his parents, we heard what sounded like someone whimpering or crying. And this scared us even more, but we became worried that Jack was out here. Maybe he was hurt. We started looking closer, trying to make the light work as best as we could, until I tripped over what I thought was a rock or a tree root until I heard the whimpering clearer. 
I looked over toward the tree that I had just walked by, and when my eyes had finally adjusted, I could make out a person. It was Jack. But this was not the way that we had last seen him. He had something on his head, and I realized that it sounded funny because he was actually muffled. Then as I tried to help him up, he seemed to be stuck. I again used my hand to trace down his neck, shoulders, and torso, and I felt some kind of rope. By this time, I had yelled to the others that I found him, so they came running over. I told them to help with the rope, and thankfully it seemed to be a pretty simple knot that we were able to undo. We pulled off the thing that was on his head, as well as the tape on his mouth, and the first thing he shouted was, Run! And we all ran behind him towards the house. I could tell in his voice that he was terrified. I was terrified too, because I didn't know why we had found him like that. He immediately ran to the living room where Sam's parents were, crying, visibly shaken, trying to explain to them what happened. I just remember him saying, Somebody grabbed me, they tied me up and put something over my head, and that he wanted to go home. Sam's parents thought that one of us did it, and it took a few minutes before we finally convinced him. His dad then took us to the kitchen, made us a bowl of ice cream in hopes to calm us down, and his mom went to the living room and was talking on the phone. Shortly after, Jack's parents showed up and a few cops, so we had to go through everything again. I remembered this because all the rest of our parents showed up too, and I was becoming irritated. The cops questioned us all when our parents arrived, and kept making comments about how it was important for us to tell the truth, and it was okay if us boys were just playing a prank. Honestly, we should not have had to convince them so hard that it was none of us that did it. Even Jake said he was certain it was not us. But while they were talking to us, they had other officers out in the trees taking a look. We weren't really told by our parents what all they found until we were older, and I can understand why. Jake remembered having something pulled over his head and said that someone covered his mouth telling him not to scream. Then they taped his mouth shut, tied him to the tree, and told him to count to 100. He counted to himself as he heard the footsteps fade slowly. He could hear faint laughing and talking from the rest of us, but... We weren't close to the trees by that point. Then, about the time that I went toward the trees alone, he could tell that it was one of us, but since he hadn't reached a hundred yet, he was scared to call out. But when he started hearing all of us, that's when he decided to try calling out for help, the best that he could. With how terrified he seemed, I have no reason to not believe him or the rest of our friends. So, many years later... I was a teenager at this time. The situation came up and they explained a bit more to me. They said that the cops were searching the woods and found something like a burlap sack, and that's what was most likely over Jake's head. They also found the rope and the tape. The most eerie part of this, however, was the note that was pinned to the sack. It simply said, Found you. That's what convinced the police that it probably wasn't our doing after all. I mean, that had to be intentional, right? Leaving a prepared note like that? I know that Jake doesn't really like to talk about it unless he's in a particularly good mood, but 
I can't imagine what he had to go through. Who knows what this guy's intentions actually were. He must have been watching us, at least, because that note was relevant to our game. But was that his whole thing? Just to scare us? As far as I'm aware, and from what I've heard from Jake and Sam, they never found who did it. They questioned the people on the other side of the trees, but it was just an older couple living there, and the guy had to walk with a cane, so I doubt it was him. What I do know is, for those of us who still talk and hang out, we will never forget the fear that we felt that night, and that lingering dread that that guy still may be watching us somewhere. Back when I was in college, I used to do the thing that most early 20-somethings like to do. Party. Like, a lot. Pretty much every weekend or week off from class. I was always at a party somewhere in the nearby town. Yes, it was a very dumb way to live, but I was all about having a good time and trying to get the most out of life that I could. I've definitely gotten past this part of my life, and... The story is actually part of the reason that I stopped partying, mostly because it kind of messed me up mentally. This party that I was going to was pretty much like every other party I've ever gone to. Too many people, people planning on drinking too much and crashing on the host's floor. Probably some illegal activities occurring that I won't mention, because I'm not going to incriminate anyone. I actually knew the host, but... I wasn't really friends with him. I guess that I would say that we were sort of acquaintances. When I say host, though, it's probably important to note that I just mean the person that rents or owns the house that we are going to have the party in. Because there were always a group of us crazy kids that would supply the party with all it needed. We just needed someone to give us four walls, some furniture, and a stereo. When I got to the house on the night of the party... It looked like it was going to be one hell of a time. A bunch of my friends were already there, the music was decent, and I was ready to let loose and have a good time. I walked in, and just inside the door, I immediately ran into the host. We're gonna call him Robin for the story. And I went in for a handshake to thank him for letting us use his house, and to tell him how awesome he was. I started off with a, Hey bro, how's it going? Just trying to keep it informal, and he literally just stood there staring at me with a blank stare. After a few moments of me reaching my hand out and him just staring at me like there was something on my face, several moments that were incredibly awkward I may add, I just sort of readjusted and then asked if he was okay. He kept that same dead stare and just shook his head slightly, saying, No. Cody. I'm not okay. Then, he turned to walk away from me without as much as a second stare. I was pretty obviously confused. This was an incredibly strange interaction that I definitely did not anticipate from Robin. The few times we met, he always seemed pretty chill, and I thought we were decent with each other to the point that he would accept my conversation, but here we were. I shrugged it off, and just went back to the table to get something to eat, and to get myself a second drink, 
I figured maybe he was just in a bad mood or something, and I wasn't wanting to let it ruin my night. After a while, I was just having a good time at the party, chatting it up with people that I knew. I actually asked a few others if they had spoken to Robin or seen him that night. Everyone else mentioned that he gave them that same cold shoulder, but they said that they just assumed he was having second thoughts about hosting the party. I agreed that that was probably the case, but the other side of that is that he could have just not agreed to have been the host. In the end, I assumed that this was just going to be one of those parties where the host complained a lot after, and no one was allowed to crash on the floor. We'd had a few Killjoy hosts before, and it was fine. It was his house, after all, but it was still kind of a pain. Well, I thought that this was the case, until what happened actually happened. This was about two hours into the whole party. Everyone was sufficiently loosened up, probably a bit too loosened up to be honest. We were all doing what we did, when we heard what sounded like somebody screaming from a closed room off the hallway. It was incoherent at first, but after a few minutes of it, I walked over to hit the pause button on the stereo to pause the music and see what the hell was going on. As soon as I paused the music, the door swung open, and out came Robin. He looked seriously mad. Like, he had an absolute scowl on his face, looking like he was about to beat the hell out of somebody. We all kind of backed off from him as he walked out of the hallways and into the main area, mostly because I think that none of us wanted to be the person he took his anger out on. He then stopped in the center of the living room, all of us surrounding him, and staring at him, of course. And then he asked, Who the hell turned the music off? The whole crowd kind of looked around, but slowly fell off to the sides, pushing me towards the middle, basically singling me out. I just kind of shyly said, Oh, uh, I did. We heard you yelling, and we were wanting to make sure you were okay, man. I finished this sentence... And as soon as the last words came out of my mouth, I saw Robin lift his hand toward me, and I was met with the business end of a handgun. I could feel my heart speeding up. The people in the room started screaming and trying to push back, but no one really did anything to help the situation. Not that I would expect anyone to jump in front of a gun for me. I slightly lifted my hands and I tried to tell them that I was sorry about turning the music off that I didn't want any trouble, and that if he wanted, I would just leave the party and not come back. I was basically just trying to plead for my life at that point, because this guy that I didn't really know very well was about to shoot me. After several more seconds of silence and me feeling like I was about to puke, he shifted his arm and he put the gun up to his own head. Then, he just gave us this really messed up smile and creepy laugh. It was almost cartoonish how creepy it was, like something the Joker would do. The whole room just sat still and watched as this guy laughed and pulled the trigger. And I think there was a huge collective sigh of relief when nothing happened. He pulled that trigger with the gun against his own head, and as soon as it was clear that the gun was not loaded... He started laughing like an absolute psycho. Obviously, this was a huge party killer, 
we were all speechless and freaking out, and I was trying to figure out how the situation was supposed to be funny. Obviously, he thought it was the most hilarious thing to ever happen. And, honestly, I think the whole room was ready to beat the hell out of this guy. While he was just howling about how he got all of us, and how we really thought he was going to do it. Yeah, dude, you had a gun. And rule one when it comes to firearms is to assume it is always loaded, and that the person holding it intends to use it. Not to mention, you were acting weird and angry the whole night, and everyone in the room was a bit tipsy when you decided to put it to your head and pull the trigger. Without even saying a word, everyone pretty much just started filing out of the house, myself and my friend group included. We were just done with that party. The whole time while we were exiting, he was just laughing and asking why we were all leaving, calling us lame, saying that we needed to learn to take a joke. In my opinion, pretending to commit suicide is not a joke. Threatening somebody else with a gun, loaded or not, is not a joke. Nothing that he did was funny, and I was seriously scared for my life. Like I mentioned, this was actually one of the last parties that I went to. Most of us pulled away from the party scene and just started doing hangout nights, where a few of us would meet up and do whatever, but there weren't any more big parties for that year. So, I guess I should just say thanks to Robin for getting me away from the party scene, because he definitely did that. I hope that he and I never meet again, because I will probably kick his ass if we do. And yes, I am still very much holding on to this grudge. This happened about eight years ago, and I still think about it on the occasion and wonder what the hell happened. The summer between my freshman and sophomore years of high school, there was this boy that I liked. Being teenagers, we would sneak out in the middle of the night to this park that was really close to our houses. One night, about two in the morning, we were sitting on a picnic table on one end of the park, like we normally would, and we did this for months, and it was like any other night. This park is surrounded three quarters of the way by canyons, and the park has a playground, soccer fields, and a baseball field. We were just hanging out when we saw two people... A man, probably in his 30s, a little heavy set, wearing a red baseball cap and a white t-shirt, and a woman who was a bit younger than him. The boy I was with and I watched the two of them walk across the baseball field and into the canyon. We didn't think anything of it, maybe they were just going to have relations in the canyon. I don't know, some people did that. Maybe five minutes later we start to hear screaming. I was not going crazy because it startled the boy that I was with, too. It was nothing like I have ever heard. The screaming was ear-piercing and absolutely horrifying. After about 20 seconds, everything fell silent. We didn't hear anything, but a little while later, maybe a few minutes, the man came walking back out of the canyon, but without the girl. He started walking towards where we were sitting, and we just dipped. We got the hell out of there. We grabbed all of our stuff and ran home. 
I don't know if he saw us, but we were not sticking around to find out. It was quite dark, so it wouldn't surprise me if he didn't notice anyone was there until he saw two teenagers taking off to the playground. For the next two to three months, I looked all over the internet and would go look around the canyon for anything to explain what happened. I never found anything, online or in the canyon. I still have no idea what happened that night. This was probably one of the scariest and creepiest things that has ever happened to me. I would also like to say that I was about 14 or 15 when this happened, and was a selfish teenager preoccupied with themselves. So, no, I didn't call the police. I should have. I think back on it and beat myself up for not saying anything, but at the time I was only concerned about getting in trouble for sneaking out with the boy. If this had happened today, I would for sure call the police. I went to a lot of parties in my 20s, so when a friend invited me to another friend's party, there was no part of me that would have said no. The host, Danny, was more so just an acquaintance to me, but I wasn't going to pass up free access to alcohol and entertainment. The party was supposed to be at Danny's great-aunt's house, as he claimed he was house-sitting and he wanted to take full advantage of it. However, you can imagine my surprise when I pulled up with my friend and Danny, and the house was boarded up and abandoned. I asked them if that was the right place, and he said yes. He then explained that his great-aunt had recently passed away, and that she had been living in a care facility and no one kept up with her house, so it just sat empty. He said since it was still in the family, he thought it would be a good idea to use it for parties. But... What kind of party can three guys have in an abandoned house? I know that none of us had brought any refreshments. I'm sure that they noticed I had a soured or disappointed look on my face and tried getting me to loosen up, saying that more people were on their way. Shortly after, we did have a few more people arrive. There was another car with three girls in it, one of which I knew from high school actually, and then a truck with another friend of mine and his girl, and a guy in the bed. The others got out carrying a couple cases of beer and cups, and we all walked up to the door where Danny was. Then, we watched as he went behind one of the bushes near the door, heard what sounded like metal-on-metal metal scraping, and then he came back out with a key. He then went, unlocked the door, and had to slam it with his shoulder because it appeared to be jammed. And then we were all waved in. The house, however, was in better condition than expected. It was still fully furnished, at least for the most part. It makes sense now as to why Danny had lugged some old stereo with us. That way we weren't sitting in silence and darkness. The lights didn't work either, so the girls had brought a bunch of candles and flashlights. Despite the location and lack of details that I was given, the party was actually pretty fun and we all had a good time. We listened to music and drank, someone brought a deck of cards and Twister, and it was hella funny watching the girls drunkenly try to determine which hand was left versus right. At one point, everyone kind of started to wind down while a few were trying to make a house out of cards. 
I got bored and decided to just walk around the property inside and to check it out. Yeah, I may have been a little nosy, but it's not like I was a thief or anything. I legitimately just liked exploring new places. So, as I walked around outside, I noticed where part of the house jutted out to the right. It caught my attention because it wasn't big enough to be a garage. But I didn't remember anything being on that side other than a closet and a bathroom. Not to mention the part that went out was all connected, and the bathroom and closet were not. This had to be a separate room. I made a mental note of this and continued my walk around the house. There was nothing else particularly interesting, but I was still curious about that room, so I went back inside. I checked the bathroom first, but I had a feeling it wasn't connected to it since it was further back than where it was positioned outside. Then I checked the closet. It seemed pretty silly at first when I opened it, and I just saw a few long coats hanging in a mop and broom leaning against the wall. I was about to close the door when something told me to look again, so I moved around the boxes on the shelf above and I didn't even see a door or anything, but then I pushed the hanging coats as far against the wall as I could. Then I pulled out my phone and started looking at the rear wall. I knocked on it, and wouldn't you know it, it sounded hollow, like there was nothing behind it. Then I traced around the edges and could feel a slight dip in the wall. It was like someone had plastered and painted over a door. While I was doing this, Danny scared me by coming up behind me and asking what I was doing. I explained what I had seen outside and what I just noticed in this closet, and he was just as surprised as I was. I moved out of the way and he went and examined it too and came out scratching his head. He said that he had only been here on occasion, but it was when he was a lot younger, so he never really realized it until now. Before I could ask him what we should do, he walked away into the kitchen, and then came back with one of those meat tenderizers and a butter knife. I grabbed a flashlight and held it for him as he chopped away at this closet wall. It, of course, started getting the attention of the others, and we all joked about what we were going to find. Danny finally got a good portion around so he could pull the rest down with his hands. And behind the wall was a very small door, with a very antique-looking doorknob. And, of course, it was locked. Danny tried to just break it, but the angle wasn't right for it. When I say this door was small, I mean it was about half the height of the closet, which we were already having to lean over a bit to stand in. But what other option did we have? We were all about to start looking for another key, but Danny, again, just started smashing the knob with the tenderizer, and soon enough it broke off. There was nothing really holding the door closed after that, so when he broke it, it slowly creaked open an inch or two. We were all hesitant to go in, but Danny finally got on his knees and crawled through. I followed him as well as others, but most of the girls stayed behind. This room was not something I would expect to see in the home of an old little lady. This looked like some kind of sacrificial room. There was a large circle with symbols around it, painted on the floor in red. The circle was then outlined with candles, and they had all been burned and melted nearly to the floor. 
The walls were covered in writings in black and red. Some of it looked like scriptures. Others I didn't recognize, and just seemed to be gibberish. There was a single wooden chair in the corner of the room facing the corner, but otherwise, there was nothing else there. Well, except for one other thing. There was a single photo of a young woman. The photo had clearly been ripped or torn, so that only this woman was in it. But it was clear that she was looking at someone else to her left, and she looked very happy. Based on the color of the photo, and how she was dressed, I would have to guess that it was taken in the 40s. Danny said he had no idea who this woman was, and I had no reason not to believe him. He said his great-aunt was blonde, and this person clearly had dark hair, so it wasn't her. Then, we all started getting that uneasy feeling. The mood had started to shift as we all started to see what this room was for, and Danny looked just as confused. He started swearing how he had no idea this was here or why anyone would do this. He said his great-aunt was super religious, and didn't, or couldn't maybe, believe that this could have been done by her. Then the room started to get really cold. I didn't mention this earlier, but this was in the early summer. It was already getting pretty warm, and there was no AC in this house either, so to have a random cold chill was kind of eerie. The girls quickly left the room at that point, and I was about ready to follow, but I waited to see what they did. As we stood around waiting to see what Danny wanted to do, we heard one of the girls yelp, so we all left that room. We went out and one of the girls said that it felt like someone slightly grabbed her ponytail and tugged on it, which freaked her out. After that, there was no way to calm them down and the three that had arrived together and the other girl all got in their car and refused to come out. I could tell that Danny was pretty freaked out too, but just didn't want to admit it. So he suggested that we leave too if the girls were all going. We packed up all of our stuff and left, and the ride back was pretty silent. No one really said much, and I didn't know what to say to be honest. We kind of just went about our life after that. Nothing creepy happened, no one was cursed or anything, but I even started hanging out with Danny more. We were both at a different party together months later, and something had come up that actually reminded me of it. I ended up asking him if he ever found out who that person was, or anything about the room. He seemed like he didn't really want to talk about it, but he did tell me that he asked his mom about the woman in the photo, and she basically interrogated him on where he found it, and then told him to never bring it up again around certain people. I don't remember who he mentioned, but that was about all he told me. I don't know if he really found out more, or if that's all he knew, but he definitely seemed uncomfortable talking about it, so I never brought it up again. If I was alone, I would have taken pictures to share with you all because it was really creepy. But I didn't, mostly out of respect for Danny, since I hardly knew him at the time. Based on his reaction to it all, I'm pretty sure something bad happened there, and his family may be keeping a dark 
little secret. This happened my senior year in high school. My birthday is in May, and I usually have some pretty big parties with my friends. However, since we were going to be graduating that year, I told my parents I wanted to have a graduation slash birthday party all together. While I did have a lot of friends, I definitely wasn't in the popular clique, and I definitely didn't like having all the attention on me. This way, I thought I could still have friends over, but it would be all of us celebrating... Well, all of us, not just me. I was also hoping my mom wouldn't try to make them sing to me this year. That was embarrassing after the age of, like, 14. At least for me. So, thankfully, it wasn't hard to get them to agree, and we started making a list of things I wanted to have, like foods and drinks, as well as entertainment. I, first, wanted to have it at a park shelter since it was going to be nice out, and that way we could all take senior pictures together if we wanted. I also wanted to make it karaoke-themed. American Idol was a pretty popular thing at this time, and I watched it with my mom and sister every time it was on, so I was pretty into it. And no, I don't think that I'm a great singer either. It's just a lot of fun when you're doing it with friends. So, we compromised, and my dad's friend actually agreed to let us use their bar for the party. Look, I know this sounds odd for an 18-year-old, but it was actually a nice place and not like those gross, sketchy bars you see in the movies. The couple that owned the bar were actually like an aunt and uncle to me and my siblings. We'd been there during the day before and hung out in the back room if there was an emergency, and they were the only ones available to watch us. That was many years ago, of course, before I was older enough to babysit. Anyways, this was our plan. We would get the whole bar for the day, and then he would still be able to get his normal business at night. I thought it was a great idea and was really excited for it. My mom was still adamant on handing out invitations since it was going to be somewhere other than our house, and the RSVPs would make things easier, so I agreed. I handed them out to my friends, some acquaintances that I was getting to know already, and then... I decided to be brave. I decided I would try inviting my crush to see if he would actually show up, and if not, at least we were graduating soon and I would just never see him again. I had a few classes with him, so as one of the classes ended, I walked by and laid the invitation on his desk and walked even faster out of the room. I had to take some time to regain my composure after that, but then I just hoped for the best. Fast forward to the day of the party, I got up early to go with my mom to help set up and decorate the bar. We had some graduation banners, we had tons of finger foods including some that Heather and Mikey, the owners, had made for the party. My mom even came up with clever drink ideas. She got the glass bottles of root beer and cream soda, and even made her homemade punch. I also agreed to her making a birthday cake so long as nobody sang happy birthday. The bar was looking great, 
and I even had the karaoke machine set up, so I was pretty excited and looking forward to it. As people started to show up, we started getting a little rambunctious. However, I kept watching the door, hoping that my crush would walk in. About an hour into the party and not seeing him, I was a bit discouraged, but I told myself beforehand to not let that ruin my time. He hadn't RSVP'd, so I had a feeling that he wasn't going to show up anyways. So, I let it go, and we all started getting pretty crazy with the karaoke. We got so into it that I didn't realize my crush had not only showed up, but was now standing near the stage watching as I made a fool of myself. I was pretty embarrassed, and ended up running off the stage laughing and went to get something to drink. While over there, I saw him looking past people, like he was trying to find me, but now being completely shy, I didn't know what to do. So, as a teenage girl does, I avoided him. A lot. After some time, though, I did finally get the courage to talk to him. I did talk to him occasionally in class, but this was definitely the most I had spoken to him all year. At one point in the night... He asked me if I wanted to go walk around outside, and I agreed. I told my two best friends where I was going, and after we grabbed a cup of punch, we walked out. I know that I probably should have told my mom what I was doing, but to be honest, I didn't want her to stop me, and I at least told my friends so they would have my back. My parents were great, but I doubted she would even notice with everything else going on. So, we walked around the parking lot for a while with him walking on the outside, which is how we ended up walking towards the back of the building, as he steered us to that direction. I didn't pay much attention as I was focusing on everything else, like how I looked, what I was saying, was I talking too much, did I possibly have a stain on my mouth from the punch and then also reminding myself to tell my mom that the punch may have gotten too warm because it was tasting a bit bitter. My head was being flooded with everything all at once, but then it all stopped when, basically, he admitted to liking me too. All I wanted to feel at that moment was happiness, and like I had achieved something. I remember the fluttery feeling and almost like I was floating. Then... I remember that feeling of being kissed. I was on cloud nine at that moment. But that feeling started to shift when he started implying things. I don't want to be too graphic here, but I'll just say that there was some groping, some explicit offers or demands that he was making, and I was finding myself overwhelmed and dizzy. I tried telling him no, but... I found that I seemed to be fighting myself more than anything. My arms felt heavy, and I felt like I was going to pass out right there where I stood. I tried to just zone out and leave my body for that moment until I started hearing my name. I recognized the voice as my dad's. And again, I wanted to call out to him, but I also just kind of wanted to sleep. After that, my consciousness continued to go in and out, I remember feeling like time had slowed down, yet I couldn't keep up with anything. Unfortunately, 
I don't remember anything else until I was fully awake in the hospital later that night. My parents were there, and they started asking me how I was feeling and what had happened when I left the bar. After a lot of talking and repeating myself, we pieced together the whole event. I had already had a cup of punch, and before we walked out, my crush offered to go and refill both the cups. Then we left. And that's when I mentioned to them that it tasted funny. They already had a feeling about what had happened. Or at least the doctors and the nurse did. They called the cops and reported a potential drugging. Police arrived at my crashed party site, took samples of the food and drinks, and to our horror, they found some traces of something in my cup. I did tell my parents how I ended up outside, and my crush didn't get far. There was a small cluster of trees behind the bar, separating it from the highway. They found him trying to hide out in the trees. However, he kept up with this claim that he didn't do anything to the drinks. The lab people, or whomever they were, said that the drugs that were in my cup were fairly consistent with sleeping pills. The authorities had also determined that my crush's mother had been prescribed some pretty strong sleeping pills, so it was assumed that that's what it was. I was... devastated. I had strong feelings for this person, and he tried to take advantage of me. I definitely understand now, and after the event, that he was not a good person if this was his first thought. But it was even worse at that age, knowing that he brought those with this intention. He didn't get very far before I started hearing my dad yelling for me, but to add to that part, I've never been more thankful for my little sister tattling on me. She saw me leave the building, and she started to get a really bad feeling. She claimed that she didn't want to get me in trouble, so she checked out fronts to warn me to come back. But when I was nowhere to be seen, she became even more worried and told my mother. That's when they started to look for me. I was pretty upset for a long time after that. I was embarrassed and disappointed in myself for falling for this guy's tricks, and for ruining my party due to doing something stupid, and, of course, having to explain this all to my parents and the police. I was hoping to hear that he liked me too and maybe hold hands, but nothing more. I wasn't ready to do anything else but I guess that's why he brought the pills. And to wrap up, I know that he was kicked from school, or at least wasn't allowed to attend the graduation ceremony, so I don't even know if he graduated. I've put it all behind me at this point, now that it's been years ago, but I'm definitely more aware of who I associate with, and my drinks never leave my view. And as for my crush... I don't feel like he deserves to have a name in this story, but I hope that he and I never meet again. Back in 2018, my best friend and I made plans for our first spring break style road trip. We had both pretty much grown up together since middle school, and we knew what we wanted to do after graduating. 
I wanted to become a teacher and her a veterinarian. So we hunted for the best school that could work for both of us, so we could still be close. However, the school was in another state, so what else do we do but also find a place to share, which even saved us some money. We actually budgeted pretty well. We always pulled out the money we needed for rent and other bills so we knew it wouldn't be spent. However, between work and school, we didn't have a lot of time for play. So, we decided to do something for ourselves, and we planned a trip to North Carolina for spring break. We had plans to go to the beach, go hiking, and of course, party. We actually got a pretty good hotel and airline package thanks to her work, which saved us more money to actually spend on the trip. So, onward to the actual trip. It had actually been going great. We took it easy the first day and just hit up the beach and went shopping. We went on the hiking trail the next day while we still had the energy. On the third day, we lounged around in the hotel, went to a local diner, but otherwise were just taking it easy. So, we took this as our party day, or rather night, I suppose. Both looking our best, we headed out to a local bar to start with some drinks. We started a game of pool and were genuinely just having fun. At some point, a guy approached us, giving my friend advice on how to shoot as she was losing to me, miserably. He offered to help. She agreed and after a few practice shots, she started figuring it out and almost beat me. We all started talking and laughing, and he introduced himself as Johnny, and we introduced ourselves as well. He seemed like a nice guy, and genuine too. My friend, Jamie, seemed to be pretty interested in him, and he didn't give off any weird vibes, so I stuck around to hear him out too. Eventually, he mentioned a beach party that was going on that night, and said that it was open to anyone that brought drinks offering to take us there if we wanted to go. We had no reason to really say no, and thought it could be a lot of fun, so we agreed. He did offer to drive us there, but we did have some sense to us, so we declined. It was the same beach that we had went to a few days earlier, so we said we would take an Uber back to the hotel, change into our swimsuits, and then just walk there from the hotel room. He didn't even push the matter, so I thought that that was pretty cool too. So, we did exactly as we stated, and when we got to the edge of the beach, Johnny was standing nearby and greeted us. He offered his arm to both of us and walked us through the sand. We could see a group of people near a fire, some were standing around drinking, some were playing beach volleyball, and some were just sitting and watching. As we approached... Johnny called out a few people, and we were all introduced and offered drinks. They were closed cans, so we accepted. We sat with some of them and talked, and eventually tried to play volleyball. Neither of us had really played before, and being buzzed, we were all over the place. But we all seemed to have a good time. They started playing music, and we were dancing and playing some dumb drinking games, Jamie was definitely enjoying Johnny's company. I found myself chatting it up with another girl that was there alone, playing a ukulele actually, who said that she was just visiting like we were, 
After a bit of time had passed, it was getting pretty dark with just the light of the fire and the nearby lights. I wasn't quite ready to end the night, but I was getting a bit chilly. I wanted to go change or at least grab my jacket, so I thought I would ask Jamie if she wanted to go with me or if she wanted me to grab something for her. She wasn't on the bench where I last saw her, so I just looked around the beach, scanning the area of the party, and I didn't see her. I asked the girl who I had been talking to if she saw her, and she said no. Same with a few others, so I started walking around. I ended up walking the whole shore hoping to find her, maybe walking with Johnny at the least, but still, no luck. I went back and asked a few more people around, and some told me they didn't see where they went, confirming that she was still with Johnny, and others told me that they didn't even know who I was talking about. At this point, I was feeling a bit sketch, not to mention frustrated. We were the only two girls that seemed to not understand volleyball, and were constantly falling and bumping into others. How do you not remember this person? I was also confused and upset that Jamie would just leave without telling me. Part of me did have it in my mind that maybe she took him to our hotel room, but was fighting myself because that's just not something that she would have done. We shared a room, so she would have at least sent me a text telling me not to go back yet. So, I decided to risk the embarrassment and went back to the hotel room alone. I texted her asking where she was and that I was going back to our room, hoping that maybe a warning might help or that I would at least get a response. Yet, I got nothing by the time I inserted my room key into the door. I wish that I could say that I found her passed out in there, but instead, what I did find made my heart drop. Our room had been ransacked and torn apart, clothes were everywhere, the drawers were open, my purse was open and my wallet was missing, Jamie's entire purse was missing, we even had one of those book safes that was in my luggage that had been broken open. We kept our extra emergency funds in there in case anything happened. I was devastated and terrified. The only thing I had of value on me was my phone, a little cash, and my ID, and thank god that I took that with me. But, more importantly, while the room looked like this, Jamie was still missing, and she never responded to my text. I immediately tried calling her while I was in the room, but her phone went straight to voicemail. I was terrified and felt sick to my stomach. I was in a state that I didn't know, surrounded by complete strangers. Most of our stuff was gone, and the one person that I did know was missing. In between crying, I ran down to the front desk to report the state of the room and to call the cops. The hotel staff made a report and when the police arrived, I told them about Jamie and our whereabouts. When they went up to our room, they concluded that it hadn't been broken into and that a key had to have been used. Thankfully, they had cameras in the halls and they went to check the footage immediately. To my horror, I watched as Johnny approached the door, used the key, and went in. Alone. Jamie was not with him. 
Because of this, the police thankfully agreed that it was suspicious and started searching the area. Some checked all the cameras to see if she wandered off somewhere else. Some searched all over the hotel and the beach, and I even rode with one as we searched the nearby streets and stores. No luck. I was inconsolable as they took me to the station to make a more in-depth report. One of them then drove me back to the hotel, and surprisingly, they offered me a new room since one of the keys was obviously stolen. I accepted, thinking maybe that she would show up in our old room, or maybe Johnny would come by again and we would be able to question him. That was a sleepless night. I kept calling and texting her phone, hoping that she would eventually reply, but I got nothing. We were supposed to be leaving in two days, and I was not going to leave without her. I had so many thoughts going through my head, not to mention the fear and sadness of putting my best friend in a horrible situation. There was no way that I was going to be able to sleep. Then, early that next morning, I think it was around 4am, I got a call from the detective saying that they thought that they had found her. They said a woman showed up at a local hospital, in a state of stupor and due to other things they noticed, they called the authorities to report the incident. I took an Uber to the hospital where I met the detective, and they took me back to the room to identify her. And, thank God, it was her. She was awake and very aware of who we were, where she was, etc. And then she told me what all happened. She told me that, after several drinks, she and Johnny were walking around the beach when they both made hints to go somewhere else. They started walking to his car when she realized that she hadn't told me yet, so she pulled out her phone to text me when Johnny started to distract her and grab her phone from her. She said he was doing this in a playful manner, so she didn't think much of it at first. But then a woman came up to them and grabbed her phone from him, which caused her to panic a bit. Unfortunately, he had managed to get her in the car with the help of this woman, and that was the last thing she remembered until she woke up on a bench in the park. She then walked about a mile until she ended up at this hospital. She was still in her bathing suit, but her cover-up was gone, and she had nothing else on her, of course. They ended up doing tests and did sadly confirm that she had been drugged, but otherwise didn't have any signs of SA, thankfully. They did do the normal precautions just in case, though. The detectives then explained to us that they had seen similar occurrences to tourists, men and women alike. They were found drugged, had been robbed, so they most likely did this in hopes of a quick payout, I guess. But since all that we really had on us were our phones, IDs, and room keys, they went for the room. Her purse was later found in a trash can behind the hotel, but of course, all the cash, cards, and ID were gone. Her phone was never found. She apologized profusely, but I wasn't even mad. All of that stuff we could just replace or figure out, but I couldn't replace her, so I was incredibly thankful to have found her. But from then on, we doubled down and promised each other that no one, not a man nor a woman, would come between us, and while we're traveling, we always stay within each other's view. 
so a few days back, I went into a mall a bit far from my house and things were really good that day, but then while I was in the KFC branch in there, someone on Grinder with a blank profile messaged me while waiting for my food at the table. I shrugged it off, and he didn't send me any pictures, just messages saying hi and asked if he could give me the best oral that I would ever have. Seeing as how I was in a public place and absolutely was not in the mood for that, I didn't reply, and then I proceeded to eat my meal. After eating, I then left the mall while bringing the items I bought from there and waited for a ride to get home. It was dark, around 8pm, so I had to be vigilant on my surroundings. While looking out on the road, the same guy messaged me and asked me where I was currently. I saw that his distance from me was only 70 meters away, about 230 feet, from where I was standing. That was getting a bit worse, so I closed the app immediately and proceeded to continue ignoring him. Around five minutes later, a guy was standing beside me trying to act unsuspicious, even though my gut feelings were telling me something was wrong with him. He looked like he was around his late 30s, I'm 18 by the way, and he was a bit bigger than me in both height and weight. I started getting goosebumps while standing beside him and it only got worse when he tapped on my shoulder and asked if he could perform on me. I froze, having no idea what to do while being extremely anxious, but then I suddenly punched him in the face when he started grabbing at me and tried to unbutton my pants. I then pushed him off of me hard enough that he laid down on the ground, and I tried running away as far as I could. I then saw him chasing me afterwards. Luckily, a taxi drove nearby and I rushed into it as fast as I could. I know that that guy was him, the guy that had been spamming me messages on Grinder, because his Grinder profile told me that he was only one meter away from me. I blocked the profile and I logged out of the app. Then what I realized was that I wasn't logged out at the time, therefore my location was exposed still and my profile picture in the app was my face, which wasn't covered, meaning it was easy for me to get identified there. Also, the location of the mall was pretty crappy, and there isn't a lot of lights around it, and it's surrounded by pretty low-looking houses and roads. Worse, there wasn't many people where I stood at the time, and it was also dark meaning I wasn't able to properly identify the man to report him to the local authorities. I've been a long-time listener to podcasts where people have told their scary stories, or told about creepy encounters and whatnot, but I never personally expected to have one of my own. Now that I do... I figured why not share it with the world and see if maybe it can be used as a lesson to others, or help people avoid similar events. If nothing else, at least it could be considered entertainment to some. I live in a small town that I like to think is pretty safe. There really aren't many crimes that I hear about around town, and I've never really met anyone that I've felt threatened by around the town. I've been without a car for a while and I just walk from my house to a nearby bus stop to get to work, and then do the same to get home. The bus stop to get home is a bit annoying, 
because they don't stop at the same spot where they pick me up in the morning. So I end up having to walk about 25-ish minutes from the second stop to my apartment complex. It's a bit annoying, sure, but it is what it is. And since I don't have a car, it's all I have to rely on most of the time. Now, this whole event happened a few weeks ago. It was a normal day at work. I was super busy, and by the end of the day, I was seriously exhausted. I got to my stop, got on the bus, and I was sitting in the seat kind of just dozing off a bit while making sure that I didn't actually fall asleep. Something I've gotten pretty good at over the couple of years that I've done this routine. After a bit of just sitting there and being rocked back and forth by the jostling of the bus, we hit a bit of a pothole and the bump of it actually pulled me completely out of my half-asleep state. I shook my head and kind of looked around, and when I did, I noticed that there was a guy a few seats ahead of me that was sitting with his back against the side wall of the bus, and he was staring at me. I don't mean like, sly, maybe he has a crush on me type staring... I mean full-on glaring. Like, I stole his wallet and kicked his dog and he knew that it was me style staring. I had literally no idea who this guy was. I had never seen him on this bus route before and I was a bit creeped out. So, I just kind of thought, I'll ignore it the best I can and that'll be it. He's just kind of creepy. The entire ride to my stop, he just sat there, staring at me with the same wide-eyed glare. It got to the point where I thought that maybe he was blind, and he wasn't actually staring at me, and maybe I was just being insensitive. It was such an awkward situation, and I really was trying to rationalize or think about it in any logical or even illogical way that I could. After a while, we were approaching my stop, and I was almost a bit hesitant to get off, but... I wasn't about to make my 20-something minute walk turn into 40 or more minutes just because of this guy. As we approached, I got up and walked toward the exit of the bus. And as I passed this guy, he definitely turned his head to watch me. Then, much to my misfortune, as I walked past his seat, he stood up and started following me. I had no idea what to do. I had already shown that this was my stop by getting up, and there weren't a lot of people on the bus, so it wasn't like I was going to be able to get anyone to help me. I decided that I could maybe mention something to the driver and they could help me, or at least stop this guy from getting off the bus with me, because I was creeped out. I really was at a loss of what could be done because, technically... Him just being a weirdo wasn't a crime. The second that I turned to make a comments to the driver, this guy grabbed my shirt and pushed me toward the door. And I'm not exaggerating, he practically threw me off of the bus. He grabbed me and shoved me with all of his strength out the doors and onto the curb. I was lucky that I was able to halfway catch myself and that I didn't smack my head on the bus stop sign, or the bench, or the concrete. As I fell, this guy seriously pointed at me and said, If I ever catch you on this bus again, I will kill you. This was obviously terrifying, 
and it caused a lot of chaos to ensue, mostly from the driver. He was yelling at the guy, the couple of other people that were on the bus were standing up and approaching the man that had just threatened me, and I was just sitting there on the ground terrified for my life. As soon as the other people got to the guy, he jumped off the bus and took off at his full sprint. Within moments, he was gone, and they were helping me up and the driver told me to get back on the bus while he called the cops to escort me home. I was thankful that he let me back on to wait, and that he was willing to call in to dispatch that there was an incident, so that I wasn't there alone. The cops did come. They asked for a description. They asked me if I knew the guy, and I told them the whole thing, that he was just staring at me creepily, and that when I went to get off the bus, he shoved me and threatened me. To be honest, they really didn't seem like they wanted to believe me when I said I didn't know the guy, but I assured them that I had never seen him before in my life. They took all the info from everyone, and then one of the officers did actually give me a ride home, thankfully. And that's pretty much the end of it. They haven't contacted me to let me know that there's been any progress, and my guess is that there won't be. Because it was such a random incident, and beyond a description, I don't know if they had anything else on the guy. It definitely scared the hell out of me, and it's actually made me a bit nervous to ride the bus again, just in case he wants to make good on his threat, but I'm hopeful that it was just a one-off incident and that I never run into this crazy dude ever again. A few years ago, my girlfriend... Myself and four of our friends rented a cabin for a few days during spring break. We just wanted a place where we could all chill and do whatever. The only determined plan that we did make was for all of us to go rock climbing together. The cabin was bigger than expected, too. It had three bedrooms, one with a master bath and then another separate bathroom, which was great. The living room was spacious enough for us all to watch a movie in, and the kitchen was big enough for one of my friends to cook a full-course meal. He was going to culinary school at the time, so he was always willing to cook for someone, and we were always willing to be the guinea pigs. The kitchen had a door to the back covered porch, which then led out to an open field with big fire pits and trees that lined the back of it. It was perfect, especially for the price. If it wasn't obvious, there were three couples and we all drove separate cars and met there. We all chipped in and split the cost for our food and drinks and entertainment, and legitimately all worked out really well. I think that the worst part that we'd experienced was Mike and Jess missing a turn and having to guide them backwards. Well, that was until the second night. The night had a slight chill to it, but nothing that a bonfire couldn't fix so we went to start a fire and realized that none of us had brought lighter fluid, so we started looking around the cabin for a lighter or matches or anything. We finally found a lighter that barely worked in the bathroom and was able to get our fire started. We all grabbed some drinks and sat by the fire just talking and screwing off when I noticed Leslie was staring off. I nudged my girlfriend, Madison, to look at her and she called her out. 
That's when Leslie pointed out a figure standing by the trees. Isaiah, being the guy that's not afraid of anything, called him out and asked if he wanted to join, or if he at least had a lighter. After we all sat there snickering, we watched as he slowly turned and walked towards the driveway and down the hill, until we couldn't see him anymore. This place was like a campground, but with cabins, so we weren't really in the middle of nowhere. At first, we just assumed it was someone at a neighboring cabin that was watching us, possibly mad at us for being outside, possibly being too loud. That was actually a tame night, but some people are pretty whiny like that. So, we decided to just take it back inside, since the fire was pretty weak anyways. The rest of the night was just us playing a game inside and went just fine. The next day was our rock climbing and hiking day, we all piled into Jess's jeep and headed to the place. The event went great, and we were all having a lot of fun. We ended up coming across a lake at the bottom of a small cliff, and being the dumb young people that we were, we all made bets and dared Isaiah to jump into the lake from the top of the overhang. Like I said, it wasn't that high up and swimming was permitted in the lake, so it wasn't that big of a deal. It was more so just that his girlfriend didn't want him to do it. But, as dumb guys sometimes do, he did it anyways. Once we all got in, I just enjoyed floating on the water and people watching, when I noticed someone who stood out. It was a guy standing over the cliffside that Isaiah had jumped from. But the reason that he stood out was because of his choice of clothing. While everyone else around was in hiking garb, bathing suits, or even just shorts and a t-shirt, this guy was in black dress pants, a black suit jacket, and a black hat, like a fedora style. He had the hat on pretty low, however, so I couldn't really see his face, yet I could feel his gaze. He was definitely staring in our direction. This time I said out loud to everyone, are we being stared at? This caused everyone to look in the same direction and notice this guy as well. We all just waited in the water, having a staring contest and talking amongst ourselves, trying to figure out why someone would possibly be here and dressed like that. Not long after, Isaiah again shouted out to the guy, which caused some other people nearby to look around. I assume others noticed the oddity as they began staring, talking, and pointing, which then caused this guy to turn around and walk straight back behind the ledge, until he was gone. We all thought that this was weird, but I, at least, didn't connect it to our previous night's experience at this point. I just thought it was some guy being weird. We ended up leaving shortly after to go get stuff for dinner, as well as some lighter fluid to be prepared for our next fire. After dinner and some freshening up, we decided to have a bonfire again. This time, it went a lot better, and we had loosened up and were having a blast. We were talking, teasing, the girls were even pushing their limits and making a fool of themselves. It was just genuinely a good time. That was, until, Leslie was again caught staring into the trees. That's when we all turned to look and saw the same guy. The form was the same, and with the giant flashlight that Mike had bought, this time we could shine the light right on him. He was wearing the same pants and suit jacket and hat. When the light hit him, he didn't really budge, though. 
He leaned his head down some, probably to block out some of the light, but otherwise he didn't do anything else. Isaiah, again, yelled at this guy, but this time it was a bit more threatening. I don't really blame him, though. The girls were getting pretty nervous, and this guy had obviously been following or watching us. But this time, after a bit of shouting, I think most of us started feeling uncomfortable with the situation and all agreed to go inside. Once in, Madison actually called the cabin management office and told them that someone was being creepy around our cabin, and they said that they would send someone out to take a look. The rest of the night wasn't as eventful as the staring guy kind of made us sober up some, but we did watch another movie until some of us started getting drowsy. Leslie and Isaiah went to their room, Madison went to bed before the second movie ended, and I followed after it was over leaving Mike and Jess in the living room. Mike was already snoring, so I assumed they weren't going anywhere. I don't know the exact time that it was, but I know it wasn't more than an hour or so after I went to bed that I woke up to a piercing scream. Madison had been startled awake too, and after confirming that it wasn't her, I ran out of the room to find out what the hell had happened. I found Jess screaming in the living room, the front door wide open, and Mike was gone. She then explained that she woke up to a scratching sound, and when she looked at the window behind the couch they were on, she saw someone trying to open it, or at least standing at it. She then said that Mike ran out the door to catch the guy. Isaiah and I ran out after him, but found him shouting towards the trees. When we caught up to him, he said that he'd caught up to the guy and knocked his hat off, but... The guy fought back with pepper spray or something to the likes. He said that something hit his face which made his eyes burn, and it was really hard to breathe. We brought him back to the cabin, and this time we called the cops and the office people. This time Madison was not anywhere near as nice. The police actually showed up pretty quick and took our report, and then looked around the cabins. They even went to a couple nearby and questioned those people too. They, of course, never found the guy or his hat. This guy was most likely brazen enough to go back and get it and still miss the cops. Jess took Mike to the hospital and Madison agreed to go with her while the rest of us stayed behind. We never saw the guy again that night, but none of us went back to sleep either. After a few hours, the others came back and confirmed that it was just some sort of pepper spray, so he was going to be alright. But... The trip had kind of been ruined. Jess, Leslie, and Mike were definitely not interested in staying the rest of the trip. No one could blame them either. After some talking, we ended up packing up all of our stuff that night, and the other four took off. Madison and I were pretty shaken up too, but we still had this booked for one more night, and she really wanted to give the front desk people a piece of her mind. I guess they didn't seem too concerned about the situation when she first called, and yeah, they probably should have been because it was their property that could have been damaged. And so, we put all of our belongings in the bedroom, locked the doors, and tried our best to sleep there. The next morning was exhausting, as we didn't really sleep much. Management did call us to apologize and said that they couldn't give us a partial refund, but they did offer to move us to a different cabin. After informing our friends, they told us to enjoy, but 
they didn't want to come back. They did move us to one that had an indoor hot tub, so I guess that was pretty cool. We didn't have another run-in with the guy, but they also never found him. We still, to this day, have no idea why he targeted us, or what his intentions even were if he were to break in. And the fact that he had the pepper spray makes me think that he had intentions of using it, or at the very least, thought he was going to need it. We haven't been on a trip with the others since, but we do all still hang out, and we remember that creepy spring break that got ruined for us. For context, this happened when I was around 12. I'm 19 now, and I am female. Anyways, I've always been very street smart and was very mature at a very young age. It ended up helping out a lot in my favor. I used to have a best friend that was like a sister to me growing up, so her family was like family to me as well. We used to go to our local theme park all the time. We had year passes. One day when we went, her mom and two sisters, six and eight, also went with us. On the way there, the older one had to go use the restroom, so we stopped at the closest place, which ended up being a Circle K. Her mom had a small Civic that was older, so we had the windows halfway up to let the air in because the AC was garbage. And when they went to the bathroom, I somehow ended up in the front seat. I think I had a gut feeling that something was wrong. And I stayed in the car with her youngest sister while everyone else went inside. I then noticed a man come out of the store, take a look at us, and then look at his car, then back to us. He was obviously thinking about something. Not necessarily anything bad, but you could visually tell that he was thinking of what to do. He then puts the stuff he just bought in his car, gets in, and grabs something. He then gets out of his car and comes right up to the driver's side door. I was in the passenger and reaches his arm through the window to dangle a small, single pearl necklace in my face, and asked me if it was mine. I said no, and he asked again if I was sure, with such a weird, like, giddy smile that he was hiding, and the same smile he had looking for the thing. I had my hand on the door as soon as I saw him, and the only thing going through my mind was protecting the six-year-old in the back seat who was out of the car seat and leaned up on the center console to see what he was showing me. I lightly but sternly pushed her back to show her something was wrong. I luckily have always been that way, and so my fight instinct kicked in very fast, and I told him off, and then I rolled the window up on his arm. I can't remember exactly what I said, but to make a longer-than-necessary story short... We called the police and we couldn't proceed with anything because he never directly asked me to get in the car with him. But I know that his intentions were not good. His whole vibe was horrible. I'm so glad that I was not alone in the situation, as I might have frozen up or something. I hope that this guy is somewhere far away from everyone, though. I think about it sometimes and I just pray that he hasn't done the same thing again since. Lily here again. 
I mentioned before that I'm a freshman in high school, so ninth grade for me. I'm 15 as of now. This story is, though, from the 7th or 8th grade, or maybe even from the summer between those two grades. But it was definitely warm, and I was 13 or 14. I'm not going to mention the name of the town I was in. The one that my mom lives in is where I was, since I was staying with her and my stepdad at the time. Since my mother is a realtor and leader of her own team, she owns an office building. I also have an electric scooter. Both are relevant. This was either the first or second time that I was allowed to go downtown where my mother's office is by myself. I was on my electric scooter, which makes my trip 10 to 30 minutes faster. As I mentioned beforehand, this was my first or second time going by myself, so I wasn't sure about the path. On this trip, I managed to forget where to turn, so I missed the turn that I needed to take. I was in front of a hotel in my town, going back home, since I couldn't find my way around downtown. This older guy on this bike, I believe he may have been homeless, but he came out from behind the bush or two in front of me and he was on the grass, and I was on the sidewalk. It was, for some reason, hard to hear him. It probably was just me, though, but he started talking to me. He said something like, That's the kind of scooter that runs on milk and cookies. And he laughed. I gave a fake smile. He said some more, but I can't remember what. I just kept giving the same fake smile and nodding, hardly saying anything since this guy was giving off some pretty weird vibes. I'm pretty shy and introverted, but am completely willing to meet others and have small talk and stuff. But I wanted to get away from this guy which is normally weird. I don't usually feel that way when in a normal conversation with somebody. Another thing that he said, again, not 100% sure what he said, but this is what I remember. I met this one girl, and I said that I had to show her something in my hotel room that I got here. She followed me, and I had a safe full of money, and she was like, what? I can't remember if that's exactly what he said, but that's what I currently remember. In the back of my mind, I thought, this almost sounds like this guy kidnapped a girl. It sounded more sinister, since it was different wording then. And then I finally got the chance to say, Hey, I gotta go. I'm hungry and need to get back home. And then I left. I didn't leave the house much on my own for a week or two, maybe even a month. One day, a while later, I was going to Burger King to get chicken nuggets for my golden retriever named Zora. I was leaving it, and I'm pretty sure that I saw him again. He yelled, Hey! as a greeting in my direction, and I just ignored it. And I haven't seen him since. Hey there, friends. That was... Today's episode of the As the Raven Dreams podcast. And I really hope that you all enjoyed this collection of scary stories. If you did, please do consider checking out my YouTube channel where I do these same stories, but a little bit earlier than I do them here on the podcast form, and also in slightly different collections. If you really enjoy the podcast, please do consider 
giving it a rating of any sort if the platform you're listening on has ratings. Any honest rating is appreciated by me, be it 5 star, 1 star, however you want to do it. Just know that rating the podcast helps tremendously. And if you would like to support further, I do have a Patreon and channel memberships if you'd like to do things on the YouTube side, where for as little as a dollar a month, you get early access to my content. Never ever expected, but always appreciated. That said, friends, I hope that I do see you on the next episode of this podcast. And of course, until then, sleep well.